Well, it is so, so good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, my wife and I have missed y'all as we have been in quarantine. Um, we've been able to kind of video chat with some, maybe see some in passing, uh, but to see y'all here this morning, uh, it warms my heart a whole lot, and uh, uh, we can't wait to be with you again in full, um, but for this morning, I get to take the place of Justin and bring y'all the word. Um, before I do, uh, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I've been astounded just by the wisdom and the leadership that many in this church um, have uh, given to navigate this difficult time. And so would you join me and just take a minute just to applaud the leaders of this church and those that have been serving just to make the online happen for those at home and for those to navigate the policies that change pretty frequently. So would you join me in just applauding them? I... Um, my heart goes out to, to the leaders here, um, uh, both in and, uh, just their wisdom and, and their compassion uh, in this time. I want to pray real quick, too, just for our message this morning. Um, would you join me and bow your heads? Father, sometimes we forget that re- you really do hold everything in your hands. We ask that as we turn to your word this morning, that you open our eyes and open our hearts to see you for who you are in all of your beauty. Would you be with us? Amen. So I want everyone to take a moment and just go back to the Christmas of 2019, before 2020. These were the days of Christmas songs, of hot chocolate of eating way too many cookies, and then thinking about how you were going to get them off of you for the next few months with your resolution, the days of making resolutions, goals, plans. Maybe you had a new goal. Maybe you had an old goal, but you're going to revamp it for 2020. Maybe you were planning a wedding. Maybe you were a senior, and this was your last semester of school, and then you were looking forward to a new job, or maybe a new school, something exciting on the way. 2020 would be the year. But then 2020 came. Who would have thought that we would have got a year like this? A year that started off with drone strikes in Iran, and then we were all thinking, is this going to be World War III? Thank God it wasn't. But then Australia caught fire, all of it. And that was just the beginning, first half, not even, of January. What, what came next? Prince Harry and Meghan Markle left the royal family for good, uh, which I still am wondering, how is it and why would anyone want to leave royalty? That's their decision. And uh, then we lost Kobe Bryant. And again, we're not out of January yet. And, and I can run down the list We all lived through it. 2020 has been absolutely crazy. Go into banks and businesses now wearing masks, not to rob the place, just to shop. And uh, I learned uh, this morning that we've now had 100 straight days of protesting, even in a pandemic. If you're like me, 2020 at times has felt like 
one long bad dream. Something that sounds just, you just sound crazy explaining to somebody. And uh, at times I think that 2020 has been like a year where it's been purposefully designed to mess up and to overturn, to cancel, and completely turn around every expectation that I had for it. And I'm sure that you would agree. I wake up thinking, all right, is this over yet? Oh, I want to add this in. Then um, I wake up next to my wife, who I love very much, and it makes it all worth it. We get that on record. Um, It's not been a year that I wagered, and and I know that you're with me in that. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm exhausted, and I'm sure you are too. And it's in these times that we feel questions creep up into our heart. God, what are you doing? This is not what I wanted. Did you want this? Is this, is this your plan? Really? And if you're asking those questions this morning, or you have, or you know someone who will, but I think we all ask them. It's the case that actually in our passage this morning in Matthew 11, we see one of Christ's greatest followers in that same place. And so if you turn with me to Matthew 11, we'll meet this person. And Many of you already know him, but I'll give some context. We'll be looking at John the Baptist this morning. And he, no, he's not baptizing Jesus. He's in prison of all places. Yeah, yeah, this is the same man who was God's prophet. And as Jesus was being baptized, God from heaven confirmed that Jesus was the one he sent. This is my son, And John was there. John was there to usher in the Messiah. Some of you others might know other facts about John the Baptist, uh, what he wore, camel skin, hide. Can't be the most comfortable. He also ate locusts and had a special vow where he didn't cut his hair and and he, he didn't drink wine. That's not what made him a Baptist. But it was baptized. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. So, John's in prison. Why is he there? Well, John was a prophet, and prophets have a terrible track record of being welcomed by their people. And, uh, well, he had publicly disapproved of King Herod's marriage, and I'll say remarriage, actually. And King Herod remarried his half-brother's wife, and many, many people were so upset that their leader, the model of the Jewish people, the king, had done this disgraceful act. And I'm sure that King Herod's half-brother was one of these people that disapproved. But John publicly disapproved, and members of, of King Herod's family asked for John's vocal disapprovement to be taken out. So he lost his freedom, was thrown in a, in a jail, and was awaiting his execution. From prison, John gets his disciples to deliver to Jesus a single question. And it's this question that I think this morning we'd say sounds very 2020. It contains doubt, disappointment, and unmet expectations. 
Jesus, though, in receiving this question, does not scold John for asking such a thing. He doesn't question his commitment or call for judgment on his soul. He doesn't say, I hope you do get executed. No. He does something else. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage this morning. And I believe that us here in 2020 will see and learn from Jesus' response in three ways. So with me, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write down our first way that Jesus responds or calls for our response. That would be one, embrace the Savior. Read with me in Matthew 2 through 3. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now if you're familiar with the story, and this question is very strange, again, coming from someone like John the Baptist. And it's strange for two reasons. First, uh, John, I mean, witnessed God's confirmation. You couldn't really ask for any, like this was a sign from the sky. But yet here, he's doubting it. And he says the one to come, we might paraphrase that with the Messiah, the Christ, which isn't Jesus' last name. And also here, what we have here, the one to come. If all this happened, and John, you were there, why are you questioning now? Second reason this sounds really strange coming from John the Baptist is that, uh, well, Jesus tells John, or Jesus tells us later in the passage that John is actually the greatest man born of women. That's, that's his highest praise as you can give. Today, we actually have a different way of saying the same thing, especially if you're talking sports. See if you can uh, get this here. The greatest of all time, the goat. Yeah, John is being essentially labeled the goat. Uh, we have goats everywhere in every sport. Soccer, I choose Lionel Messi. Sorry, Ronaldo. I, um, boxing, it's a heavy debate here, but Muhammad Ali. And I'll let you guess maybe the, the one for football. Anybody? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah. Go Cowboys, though. Definitely. You see, if John's so great, why this moment of doubt? John doubts the Lord for the same reason that anybody doubts, be it the existence of God or just parts of his character, like his goodness. We doubt when we fail to get what we expect, and something stands in the way of actually getting those expectations. John and, and many of the Jews in this time period had hoped for a specific Messiah, a Messiah that would liberate them from Roman government. Yeah, they had a king, King Herod, but he was a puppet king. Uh, historians will tell you a king with no real power. Uh, just power over maybe his ethnicity or something like that. And that's the way it mostly worked. Next to any Roman citizen, Jewish people in this day were inferior both in rights and blood. The Jewish people wanted to turn this pyramid power structure upside down with them on top, ruling over the world. And certainly, certainly, Rome and their emperor. 
This is their savior that they wanted, the savior that they dreamed for, the savior that they expected, the savior that they went to the Old Testament and said, ah, yes, yes, he'll do this. And so a lot of Jews and Jesus' disciples, and quite frankly, the crowds questioned if uh, Jesus could really pull this off. He didn't really seem to be making any military advances at any time soon. So, Jesus, yeah, we like your miracles. Uh, it's nice that you heal people. Um, it's nice that you teach everyone. They're probably thinking. But when are you going to get around to doing something about these awful, oppressive rulers? Inside this Roman jail cell, John the Baptist is thinking, yeah, I, I'm doubting this is going to happen. This is John's error. And, if we're honest, it's our error as well. Our unrealized expectations and difficult circumstances often blind us from seeing the Savior and the salvation that we actually need. We don't see the Savior's work that he's doing in our lives in the present moment. And we nitpick, and maybe for what we think are genuine good reasons. If we have our hearts set on things that are not part of God's plan, there's no way that we're going to see his plan unfolding all around this. And, and I think here's the kicker. Is that we even miss his plan as miracles around us unfold. All the time. Yes. Even here in this year 2020. So what do we do? We need to embrace the Savior. Read with me further here in uh, Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You might recognize in Jesus' response that some of these words might be familiar. Uh, in fact, they're, they're actually quotes from the book of Isaiah that Jesus is relaying back to John and the crowds, quotes that they would be familiar with. And also, Jesus here is, is answering John's question with, yeah, I am the one to come, without saying yes explicitly. Uh, again, Roman rule, uh, Jesus is being a little covert with his communication uh, Jewish people, though, absolutely get what he's saying. And I'll explain why. And third, Jesus responds to John's doubt and really everyone who's listening and ours by pointing to his work. The blind men see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, lepers are healed, dead men are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Not, not only are these things predicted of Christ hundreds of years be before they've come, and if you're academic and nerdy like me, we've actually found these documents of these records before Jesus was even um, alive in first century. Uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, amazing prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling. But not only that, Jesus is actually hinting at something very subtly, something very very profound. You see, who can do these miracles? 
Only God, only the creator who has authority and power over his creation. So what kind of savior then is responding to John by quoting these verses, performing these miracles? He's saying, I, God, the creator, am the one to come. John could have not have asked for not only a better answer, but a better savior than he expected. On our side of the cross and the empty grave, Jesus' actions today allude to his work that continues even to this moment. These are miracles that unfold every moment. All of our lives, all of our lives begin, we begin spiritually blind. We begin morally crippled. We begin our lives unclean and forbidden to enter the presence of God. We are born with deafness to the cries of injustice. We are dead in spirit and we're greedy with oppression. And if you doubt this, then the nursery is currently taking applications. The fact that God can turn us around and transform people like us people like me, is far greater than even physical miracles that we could dream and hope for. Now, this is not to say that physical miracles do not happen today. I've seen some big, big prayers answered. And for those of you familiar with my wife's health struggles, we've seen many, many small prayers answered. Some of you sit in this room here today. But often we, like John, are looking for a specific thing that we want, but we fail to embrace the better one because our understanding, our expectations, and don't miss this, is yet to be transformed as it needs to be by the scripture. Just as we embrace the Savior, this requires a second response from us. A response that Jesus, I believe, is fully commending in this passage. That is that we need to embrace his scriptures. For you note takers, this will be our second response. Embrace his scriptures. Read with me further here in Matthew 11, 7 through 10. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by wind. What then did you go out to see? A, a man dressed, dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way for you. Now, one thing that I find really interesting in Jesus' response and out to the, those in the crowd is that he's responding directly to their possible confusion, too. They're wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah, like John, but they're probably wondering, well, if John's in prison, why is he there if he's the messenger that's God's messenger to introduce you? Prison sounds like a counter-argument. So, 
what Jesus says to them and to John is the answer is this potential argument. After John's question, he turns to the crowds asking what they hoped to see. Did you, did you go out to the desert when you went to go see John just to see some landscape? No. Did you go to see a rich man? Definitely not. Camel hide is the farthest thing from high fashion. Jesus is quoting then, as he ends this response here, from Malachi 3, book in the Old Testament, prophetically foretold John's coming. He tells them that they went to see the prophet, the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus confirms that, yep, John is the guy, as am I. Now again, I wonder at times, and I've poured over this passage again and again, wondering how could somebody like John and also the crowd full of these um, people who lived in that day miss this in Scripture? Uh, it wasn't a problem of access. We from internet land and, and printing press with physical Bibles, we think, oh, the Bible's everywhere today, but maybe it just wasn't there then. No. If you grew up Jewish, you, you began your first years of education memorizing the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And then from there, if you're a good student, and John's father was a high priest, so we know he had to be a good student, uh, you memorized the rest. <laughs> and then not only that, if you're part of Jewish society, holidays come almost every week or so, and uh, public readings happen, and then there's the synagogue that you go to for your church, and it, scripture's read everywhere, constantly on everyone's lips. It's in their phrases and their lingo. There's no way they missed these prophecies. It's common speak for them. So why did John miss this? Well, I think, I think John missed this and others in that day and continued to miss it all throughout Jesus' ministry for the same reason that we, we miss it. We miss God's goodness. And it's not a problem of we just don't have access to the word. We have that. I, I made a list, and I'm sure you could add to this, but it's things that we are guilty of in our own handling of God's word. I think it's not a problem of he didn't have it, it's how he handled it. It's our problem too. Uh, real quickly, one, we fail to recognize God when we only read or teach our favorite parts of scripture, kind of only gravitate to what's comfortable. Two, we rarely open our Bibles apart from Sunday. Uh, I've always grew up hearing pastors say, I know that you're not reading your Bible because you left it right here from last week. Three, we check out when the words don't make sense. And yeah, reading a book from another time is difficult. But that can lead to a problem. For uh, we only listen to maybe just one or two of our favorite teachers, and they only gravitate to their favorite texts. Five, we only use the Bible to kind of prove a point on the occasion or maybe justify or condemn a particular point of behavior. And that's how we use our Bible. We wield it. Uh, six, uh, we skip over our own personal application. Seven, we turn down opportunities to read Scripture with others and hear their thoughts and get out of our own echo chamber in our mind. Uh, 
eight, uh, I think this is definitely me, uh, we don't think about the promises of Scripture throughout the week. In nine, I think me again here, we're not praying the promises of Scripture. Ten, we interpret the Bible to what we want it to mean and not what it actually means. And 11, and I think this, this one is it. This is the most critical. And for John's day and ours, we failed to disciple and raise people up in the word. My friends, I think these are only just some of our issues. I bet you could add a few to the list. But it's my bet that John and the people of Jesus' day fell into habits and, and fell prey to victim to these just like we do. For you, perhaps, one of the best things for yourself this week is to actually make a goal, commit, open your Bible, and even maybe even bring in a friend to keep you accountable or to do it with and join you along. We need to be in the Word and treating it like it is the Word. If you're wondering what's to gain from more time in the Word, you only have to open it and see for yourself. And today we have it open, so let's just make a few observations here. What do we learn? Well, one, Jesus is revealing his identity of the Messiah. Not only that, he's, he's outlining his mission, not the expected one. He's clarifying for us what it really is about, what he's really here to do. And as we keep reading, I think we'll see Jesus reveal things about us and humanity and those who are saved. So let's get to that. So as we embrace his scriptures, these truths reframe our thinking. And most importantly, our, our expectations. This is not the, that the Bible teaches us to expect less. And I've heard that taught. no. It's directly against what Jesus said about he's come to give life and to give it abundantly. You're right. He reveals that Jesus to us and that his expected Savior, he himself, far better than we think we can understand, even with the words in front of us. But oh, do they help. So with us, as we reframe our expectations and, and retool our Christian life for the better, we then turn to our third recommended response from this passage, and that's to embrace his mission. Again, note takers, that will be our third, embrace his mission. Read with me in verses 11 through 15 as we finish our passage here. Truly, I say to you, says Jesus among those born of a woman, there is arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So after Jesus confirms that John is the messenger foretold, he then kind of gives us an insider's view on what the mission is about and the people who take part 
This mission is, is the one that everyone's confused by because the Romans are still above us, Jesus, and we, you just keep doing miracles, but there's a certain miracle we want you to take care of. And he's a Roman emperor. Yeah, Jesus gets to that. He says he's got a greater reality than what we can possibly fathom. First, he tells us that those who embrace his mission, believers, are worthy of more honor than the greatest man born of a woman. Can you believe that? God's people are more greater than the goat? Yeah. Notice this. He, he, he doesn't demean John. In fact, he elevates John about as high as you can possibly get. That's, a, that's the high title. If you're not Jesus himself, doesn't demean John. Instead, he, he talks about John is the messenger to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And though he's in prison, that does not diminish his work. It can't diminish his work. Circumstances can't undermine your role in the kingdom and the honor that God attributes to you. But, but not only that, those who become believers then are then ushered even in front of John's title. They're ushered right in, the least in the kingdom of heaven. Those that accept Jesus may be on their deathbed. No, they didn't go on a mission trip. No, no, they, they were terrible people, but they repented at the end of the life. Yes, even they that find God's unfathomable grace are given even more honor than the highest title known to man. I think we need to hear this today. If you're a son or daughter of God, this is how much God thinks of you. Someone needed to hear that. Moving on, we see Jesus acknowledge that not just John's imprisonment, but also the coming persecution for anyone who takes up their cross and follows him, for anyone that becomes a believer, a disciple. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. This is a conflict. The church and the faith are being attacked. And guess what? It's sustaining violence. Jesus says the violent are taking it, or here, take it, in our translation, by force. This is yet another confusing thing for Jesus' audience then. And if we're honest, us too, us too. Because we tend to think that kingdom membership exempts us from pain and suffering. We think that being a believer means we're never going to lose. Jesus lost on our behalf. Yes, we win in the end, but it's not about those small victories in between now and then. And unfortunately, some churches look over these parts of Scripture. Thankfully, ours does not. And honestly, they're the more fun passages to preach. You get to tell people that God really loves you and he loves your best life now and that's what he wants for you. But this, this is a sickness within Christianity when we only isolate the parts that we want to teach, the parts that we want to hear. And it's prevalent even to today, and I think it's prevalent even in John's day. 
Now, if, if you remember in the last chapter, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And before the book of Matthew, Jesus goes to die. If Jesus submits himself to death, what makes us think that we're exempt from something similar? Yes, it doesn't happen to the, to the extreme nature of Jesus' death often for believers, but we are persecuted. Now, I throw around the P word there, and I want us to pause a, a moment and just consider this. I don't want us to miss it. If Jesus is telling us anything about the mission, it's that persecution will find us. And yes, we Americans, we love our rights. But even if we are denied our rights, and even if broken forces of nature, fire, famine, flood, disease find us, whether we face temptation and abandonment or our families reject us, Whatever it may be, we should not be surprised when we face pain and suffering. We should not be surprised when we lose. We must understand that anything that is not a part of the kingdom of God may seek to do harm against those within the kingdom. For now. But as you know, and many of you know, the end of the story, eventually those weapons are beaten into farming equipment, plowshares, and pruning hooks. Jesus, knowing the sort of Savior that, that he would be, and the Scripture said he would do, marched his mission forward to the cross, and he invites us to carry our own. And it's, this is why? It's because this is what makes Christians great. We embrace the mission even, even through suffering. We follow our suffering Savior, clinging to the gospel, doing the work of his kingdom until he returns. This is the mission. For you Mandalorian fans, this is the way. Now it's at this point that I want to make something clear. Again, back to the word persecution. The idea that mere persecution for an idea makes me right, well, that's wrong. Persecution for an idea, whatever it may be, does not simply just justify you for having that idea or opinion. Not just because you run into disagreement or you get some flack, either from within your church or without, it doesn't mean automatically that you are a truth speaker. The veracity, the validity, the rightness of truth depends on the claim itself, not who's saying it. And far too many of us, I think at times, kind of rush or our hearts start beating faster when we find disagreement over something, especially something that's peripheral, not related to the gospel. And unfortunately, and this is, I see it a lot on social media, I've been in quarantine, so that's a lot of my exposure to the world as of late, but we crucify each other for Opinions, small opinions. We destroy relationships. And, and, and good people, sweet people, don't sound like themselves. We slip into these habits, and some grow silent and don't contribute, and others just grow louder. 
It's a mess. And one thing that I think drives it is simply that I'm, I'm being disagreed with. And we need to reevaluate that. Even if we're right about these peripheral matters to the gospel, um, if we're just making so much noise that that's the thing that we're only really known for, we become a distraction to the gospel. Christians, and even if you're not, but you love the Bible or love Jesus, his truths are precious and so rich in mercy. If we're informed by them, why not be known for them? So if we're embracing his mission, this means that at times, though, we do commit to suffering, suffering for his truth, Suffering for his scriptures, suffering for calling him a savior, and suffering for embracing his mission. But suffering is bad enough as it is, and we don't want to make it to heaven to find out that all of that pain that we endured was for something that's not even in the kingdom of heaven. It didn't make it. It no longer exists. In the eternal perspective, it was rather a kind of a quick burnt-out flame. We must hold fast to his mission, his mission, Far above all others. Yes, even in 2020, the year that defied all expectation. Even in 2021, 22, and as long as you got breath in you, hold fast to his mission. His mission. I want to end now with a, a story that I heard of when I was a boy. And uh, it, it's, it's one that I, there's not a year that goes by that I don't think of it. I'm sure that some of you have heard it as well. It's one of my favorites. It goes something like this. In a long time ago, in a kingdom far away, there stood three, tre- three trees on a small mountaintop. One day, the trees were talking about what they wanted to become when they grew up and were matured and were cut down. And the first tree says to the others, I want to be carved into the king's treasure chest ornately decorated, covered in gold, holding the most valuable possessions in the world. The second tree responds, well, I, I want to be carved into the king's mighty ship of war, huge and strong, a grand display of the king's strength over the seas. The third tree takes a minute to think. And then he says, I'd like to stay here and grow tall and point the way to the heavens, God's greatest masterpiece. Years go by. Men with axes come and they come to cut down the trees. And when they start to work on the first one, the first tree says, yes, this is the day that I become the king's treasure chest. But then the men load the wood, and they sell the wood to a man in an unheard of village where he makes with it a feeding trough for his animals. As they begin then to cut down the second tree, the the tree rejoices and says, yes, this is the day that I get to become the king's grand ship of war. But as the men load the wood, they 
sell it to a man in an unheard of village who fishes, and he uses it to make a new fishing boat. As the men work on the third tree, the tree is silent. A single tear rolls down its trunk. The men take this wood and load it up in the back of a storage shed where it's left in the dark for years and years. And more years go by and a group of, or a peasant couple stumbles their way in at night into a barn and she, being pregnant, gives birth and not having anywhere to lay the baby, she puts it in the feeding trough. And then something amazing happens. Shepherds and wise men come. And they come and they celebrate and they give gifts to this baby. And it's then at this moment that this tree knows that he did, in fact, hold the world's richest possessions fathomable. More years go by, and a group of fishermen go out on the sea to cross it. A violent storm falls upon them, and the boat seems as if it will break apart as it rolls and yaws in the waves. Then one of the men is woken up in the boat. How he slept, we don't really know. But once awake, he commands the waters to be still, and the sea is still. And it's then that the second tree knows that he did, in fact, carry the king, showing grand displays of strength over the seas. A year or two goes by, and some soldiers put, pull out this piece of lumber in this dark, dark storage shed, and they lash it to a man who is beaten and bloodied and wearing a crown. And after this man climbs up a mountain, they fix it and this man to a cross. They hoist him up, and it is there that the king on this cross forgives the people. And it is then that the third tree realizes that he did, in fact, point the way to heaven, revealing God's greatest masterpiece. Brothers and sisters, we expect a lot of things, good things, but God expects better. Will you embrace the Savior? Will you embrace his scriptures? Will you embrace his mission? Thank you. Pray with me. God Almighty, I hope that we read your word and are humbled. I think Far too often we come to it proud with opinions and interpretations and reinterpretations. And we miss you for who you are. And, and, and we miss the miracles that you are working in our lives all around us every day. And if we only knew what was ahead of us, both in our life now and in the kingdom, we thank you so much for your plans, and putting up with our griping and our complaining and even the harsh words we point at you and your people. Be with us. We need your help. 
In your name we pray. Amen.